In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I am your host, Daniel, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Evan. How's it going? So today we are talking about fasting. And uh, here are some of the things we're going to cover on today's episode. How did our own 24-hour fast go? We spent the last day fasting, and we're going to tell you all about that. What is fasting anyway? Types of fasting, intermittent, constant, sleeping, etc. Why did fasting see a modern resurgence? We'll talk about the physiological impacts of fasting, the history of Christian fasting, and we'll tell you a little bit about the longest fast ever recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records. We'll go around the world talking about fasting, and uh, we'll ask the question, why should you fast? Why do people fast? And then we'll wrap it up with uh, who would be better off if they got stranded on an island with no food, an obese man or a triathlete? The answer may surprise you. And, of course, we will wrap up the show uh, with this week's hot takes. All right, so as Daniel said, we are getting near the end of our 24-hour fast, Yes, which meant no calories. We drank only water, and I had a black coffee as well. Nice. Spicing it up. Yeah, just to curb my appetite. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Did that work? Yes. Oh, okay. Black coffee isn't – some people love it, but I I drink it most of the time, but it definitely kills my appetite. You drink black coffee most of the time? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. See, I didn't try that, and if I had known – uh, in the morning, I might have tried it. I'm not a big fan of black coffee, but I was pretty hungry in the morning, so uh, that might have helped. That that might have. And dr- drinking drinking a ton of water is also helpful. Yeah. Okay, so we will eat sometime tonight. Yeah, probably right after we yeah. record this. Hopefully. <laughs> so this is proving we are not fake. Experience is a key part of wisdom, and Daniel, how'd it go for you? For me, it was really hard about seven o'clock. I started work at 6. By 7, I was like, oh, man, I don't think I can make it. I don't know. And it was just a real, really strong hunger pang. And sometimes I skip breakfast. I don't usually. I really love breakfast. Uh, even if it's just a bowl of cereal or something, I really try to eat in the mornings. And today, obviously, I knew I, I couldn't do that. And so by the time, yeah, an hour had passed at work, I said, this is going to be tough. But surprisingly... You know, I just kind of let that go through me, and I pushed through it. And then by, like, break time, I had, like, another one, and I said, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to do this. So I just tried to busy myself with work, busy myself on break with just, like, watching a YouTube video or something I was really interested in to kind of distract me. And then for the rest of the day, really, after those first few pangs, it wasn't so bad. And uh, I haven't really felt like the super strong craving for food in a couple of hours. So overall, it was a good experience. I did better than I thought I would. See, you're stronger than you think you are, and that applies to everyone. Um, yeah, I'd say for me, I would confirm your observations. It was harder for me than normal because it's been about two months since I did a, a real fast, but I made it. And I find that it comes, the hunger comes in cycles. Yeah. So around meal times, especially, you'll really find, oh man, I'm starving. Yeah, you're, you're not yeah. starving, <laughs> unless yeah. you were already starving before. You know, normal yeah. Americans will not suffer, you know, physiologically from a 24-hour fast. Oh yeah, and we'll get to that later. Some statistics on obesity. Yeah, wow. these these Americans, they aren't hurting. That's for no. sure. There's no food scarcity. Well, that's debatable. Debate. In some areas, maybe there is. Yeah, nutritionally but, um, deficient, but not. No shortage of food. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about fasting records. Right. This is a record holder right here. I'm, I'm sitting in the studio with a, with a man who can really push it out to the extreme. Well, back in my young days, I ain't as good as I once was. Oh, uh, okay. Well. <laughs> uh, in college, I, I did a 50-hour water-only fast. So wow. that's that's my record. 50 hours water-only. Yep. And that was, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how tough was that? 
it came in waves, and the hardest part wasn't the hunger, but the blood sugar crash. So it real, I really felt sick for like ten or fifteen minutes, if once or twice a day. Yeah. Now, were you going about your your daily life as a college student? Yeah, I didn't work out or anything, or you know, exert too much, and I didn't do it during uh, testing times. Yeah. So it was it was okay, but my other habitual thing is to do first Fridays of yeah. every month. I didn't do it last month because we just finished Lent. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, uh, first Fridays for me is not eating anything and only drinking water or coffee, black coffee, for um, a whole calendar day, the first Friday of every month. Wow. So okay. I I eat dinner Thursday night and then I eat breakfast Saturday morning. So it's about a 36-hour one. Those are pretty tough. What about you? Uh, well, like we were talking about yesterday um, when we were kind of planning this out, and um, I told you I'd only done maybe like 18 hours, and really on accident, like not intentionally trying to to not eat. It's just, you know, I got caught up with work or whatever. Or for whatever reason, I didn't get to eat dinner, and I go to sleep. And that really, to me, it, it has – been the reason I've extended some amounts of time of not eating is I'm just so tired I go to sleep and I just don't eat and so I'm sleeping for eight hours and that just kind of it's like cheating a little bit because you're not like consciously awake you're conscious of your hunger you just go to bed hungry and then you wake up and bam eight hours ten hours have passed or however long you're sleeping um but yeah so this is officially my record of like consciously trying to fast so I guess right now yeah it's at the time we're recording this it's 6 30 so yeah uh, probably 24 and a half hours. Yeah, I officially hit 24 hours a few minutes ago. Cool, cool. Yeah, so that this is officially my longest time fasting. Right, so what exactly is fasting? It's the act of volunteer, voluntarily going without food for an extended period of time, normally eight hours or more, to be considered a true fast. Some may disagree. Some may disagree. <laughs> Some okay. people have to eat every few hours, but... <laughs> Uh, fasting can also refer to the metabolic state achieved after a night's sleep when the body hasn't consumed food for the sleeping period. That's why they call it breakfast. Yeah, you're breaking your fast. Yep. There are many types of fasting. There's total fasting, which is actually no food or water. So you're getting dehydrated. I wouldn't recommend that one. But yeah, some people do intense. it as a penance. There's water-only fasting, which we just did. Intermittent fasting, which has many variants, where you go a long period without eating and then the remaining hours of the day, you can eat what you want to some extent. The major one is 16-8. So you go, you basically eat lunch and dinner and don't eat at all, you know, after dinner until the next lunch. And there's also 24 where you have a four, 22-4, uh, where you have a four-hour eating window. So that will be like from two to six or something. You can eat what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Besides that, there's smaller portion fasting, which Catholics do. They only have to do two days a year, unfortunately. There's vegetarian and vegan vegan fasting, which Orthodox Christians at various times during the year do. There are a few more, but those are the basic ones. All right. So why has fasting seen a resurgence lately? Fasting isn't new by any means, but its simplicity is part of the reason why it has gained so much attention. Uh, that and the internet's ability to spread trends like this in a viral fashion. Most fasting recommendations and diets don't limit the types of food you can eat. Instead, they only limit the times when you can eat. Much easier than counting calories or cutting out food groups entirely. It just works for a lot of people, and that's why they have adopted it. Fasting done in the current year is uh, mostly done for dietary reasons. According to the CDC, every state and territory in the Union has an adult obesity rate higher than 20%, with some states as high as 35%. Dang, do we know the worst states and the best states? I should have included that in the notes. Um, I think, I re if I remember correctly, they were kind of surprising. They weren't states that I had thought. I thought Mississippi was, like, the worst. It might be. I'll, I'll have to give an update and maybe put that in the show notes um, for exactly which states are the worst. I think the ones that were up to 35%, I think there was, like, two or three states. Probably Deep South. Yeah, I mean, a lot of fried chicken. I mean, that's just how it is, you know. Uh, needless to say, uh, there are a lot of people out there in America who are trying to lose weight. A fitness influencing and the gym culture 
has also seen an uptick recently. So it's likely that this new diet trend has been spurred on by that. And in the age of coronavirus, many may have turned to fasting as an at-home alternative to gyms, many of which have been closed uh, or open with restrictions. Now, I don't know about you, Evan. I don't know too many people who uh, got slimmer because of uh, fasting in quarantine. Uh, maybe that's just <laughs> maybe that's just the people that I know, but uh, everybody I know put on some pounds. See, um, I know a guy who actually has lost 50 pounds since quarantine started. Really? How do you do it? You know, you're stuck at home all day, so you have to make a conscious effort to exercise and eat. You don't ha- you don't eat out as much. That helps. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a big point. Unless you just order it, like get it delivered or something. Then, you know, it's all up to you. Quarantine's really been a time to see who's disciplined and who's not. It really brings that out. Yeah, I heard uh, someone say that uh, after quarantine, you would either come out a uh, a chunk, a hunk, a monk, or a drunk. <laughs> That's that was the phrase that was going around. That's really good. I really like yeah. that. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that somewhere. Some people, I I know like one or two people who become monk like now. Really, <laughs> you actually know some people who have become monks. Well, sort yeah, because they have so much time now and they can just, you know, use it to pray and. Wow. Well, that's good. Are, are there these people like like at your church, or are they just random people who had not been religious? Yeah, before? like Catholics. I know. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, According to a survey by the International Food Information Council Foundation, very long title there, uh, according to them, intermittent fasting, or IF, uh, was 2018's most popular diet. That hasn't changed much in the last three years. Uh, It seems like everybody's doing it. Now, the physiology of fasting, uh, a lot of the facts about that we got from an article by Terrence uh, I hope I, I'm going to butcher these names, but I'm going to try and say them the best, my, uh, best I can. Uh, Terrence San Victores, Jarrett Casale, and Martin R. Heckler, or the uh, National Center for Biotechnology Information. This was some really useful information in here um, about how your body reacts to fasting. So at the start of a fasting period, tension-type headaches are often reported. Uh, blood glucose normally provides the body with sufficient energy through Uh, glycolysis. Uh, During a fast, maintenance of blood glucose levels initially relies on glycogen stores in the liver and skeletal muscle. This is a a quote directly from the article. Most glycogen is stored in the liver, which has the greatest role in the maintenance of blood glucose during the first 24 hours of a fast. After fasting for around 24 hours, glycogen stores are depleted, causing the body to utilize energy stores from adipose tissue, uh, the fatty connective tissue that makes up about 20 to 25% of your body weight. And uh, protein stores are also targeted for that as well. During a fast, the body engages in catabolism, which is the breakdown of complex molecules within the body, uh, fat and muscle, basically, as opposed to metabolism, the breakdown of molecules from outside the body, or food. The article goes on to say that in addition to adipose catabolism, uh, protein catabolism, Though the process of, I'm sorry, through the process of gluconeogenesis simultaneously takes place in times of fasting. So basically, the muscle is broken down at the same time uh, as the fat. Uh, gluconeogenesis produces glucose from the amino acids broken down from various tissues, including muscle. After glycogen stores have become depleted, the dependence of body tissues uh, for glucose gradually declines as ketone bodies become more readily available to metabolize. A notable cellular process that is upregulated during times of fasting includes the inhibition of the tyrosine kinase enzyme. Inhibition of this enzyme is a backbone for the treatment of many types of cancer, and further research is necessary to evaluate whether fasting regimens can be used with that, uh, with chemotherapy, to improve patient outcomes. So that was directly from the article. Now here's the clickbait title. I know they're already working on it right now. Intermittent fasting cures cancer. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't quite do all that. Uh, But with further studies, researchers may find that it can at least uh, help certain cancer therapies achieve greater success. Fasting is performed uh, clinically when blood tests require minimal caloric intake to aid in the diagnosis of various diseases. Uh, Fasting blood glucose is an example of a test that helps to aid in the diagnosis of diabetes Mellitus, based on a set threshold that determines if a patient's insulin receptors are functioning properly. 
by their ability to lower blood glucose in response to insulin. In cases of diabetes mellitus type 2, insulin resistance results in high fasting blood glucose. Additionally, high fasting blood glucose has been studied as a risk factor for the development of high blood pressure. No. Do we know if fasting is safe for diabetics? Do we know? I, I would say I don't believe so. Talk to your doctor. Do not You do not listen to our medical advice. Yeah, we, we are, are not, not trained medical professionals. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, now that we know about the fasting process and uh, we've put out the disclaimers, uh, here are some fasting factoids uh, that are pretty darn interesting. Fasting is necessary before medical procedures requiring anesthesia because of the chance that vomiting while unconscious uh, could cause stomach contents to be aspirated or block the airway. Looking at food, smelling food, even thinking about food can trigger the body's release of gastric acid into the stomach in preparation for food consumption, making you feel even hungrier. So even just looking at something, your mouth's watering, that's automatic. That was obvious. I mean, it's just, but it's, you know, it's not even conscious. You just see it and boom, it's there. Your body's ready. Let's just eat it. Let's go. Let's get it. Yeah, I've had so many instances today of those kinds of things happening to me. Oh, I bet. What what was it that really got you? What were you looking at that was like, oh, man, I've got to eat that? I did an extra penance today and I made dinner for my wife. Oh, cool. Okay. So she got to eat and you just had to sit there. Sometimes I just go sit next to her and just smell it to torture myself. <laughs> It's terrible. Yeah. Oh. It makes me tougher. There you go. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs> yes. A uh, 2015 study found that fasting significantly increased levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which may lead to cravings. Makes sense because your body is designed to seek out food for survival. If you don't feel stressed about not having food, you might not seek it out and might not, uh, might not live. You might starve. The same biochemistry that regulates mood also regulates appetite. Uh, nutrient consumption affects the activity of neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, which play a role in anxiety and depression. That means that dysregulating your appetite may do the same to your mood. All right, so we've talked about the modern studies about uh, fasting. What about the history of it? Well, Christian fasting has been very prevalent, and Jewish fasting. Uh, it's fast, It's prevalent throughout the whole Bible. When a people was mourning or repenting of their sins, they would often fast and be in ashes to show their penance. Think of the book of Jonah. Uh, the city of Nineveh did this, and they were spared by God. Now, let me ask you, uh, be in ashes. Explain that phrase to me. It just makes you, I mean, you're just like putting ashes all over yourself in your clothes. It's ashes and sackcloth, so you're wearing just low-quality sackcloth clothes and it's a way of showing penance oh okay so this is literally ashes like wood ash right yeah, i think so oh okay okay it's a way of showing penance along with fasting uh you know additionally fasting was done to help a person prepare for a new phase of their life uh jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days and during that time was tempted by satan and that was actually the beginning of his ministry he did that before he did his earthly ministry. Oh, okay. So he had to kind of had to prepare himself in a way, prepare his human, you know, self. Yeah, his human form, I guess. Yeah, he had to had to go through that. Yeah. The struggle, what was it that we said episode 1, the school of Oh, yeah, the school of adversity. The yeah, Jesus adversity. had to enter into the school of adversity. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hope we didn't just accidentally commit heresy, but that's my understanding. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think uh, I think that's that's fair. I mean, that's that's what he did. I mean, he yeah. said, "I got to challenge myself. I have to I have to go through something really difficult." Mm-hmm. So fasting can be a rite of initiation in a way, in many cult uh, like cultures of what we'd call undeveloped peoples, they would do something like this, where they send them out into the wild and say, "Okay, survive or hunt or something for." A certain amount of time. It also helps harden one's resolve and fortitude. Good virtues to possess, especially as a man, you need those things. Absolutely. So in Christianity, there is the Great Lenten fast. Lent is emulated based emulated on the um, desert travels or the desert stay of Jesus, which was also forty days. 
And 40 is a very important number. It signifies completion. Like uh, Noah's Ark was floating. 40 days, 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. There's a lot of examples of that. I'll talk about the Eastern Orthodox first because they're so admirable. They actually kept the old tradition of fasting. Unfortunately, the Catholic Church has largely abandoned it outside of monasteries. Um, The Eastern Orthodox churches ask their adherents to avoid meat, animal products, fish, dairy, wine, and oil during Lent, along with restricting the number of meals per day on select days. So they're basically vegans, and they also can't drink. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So in contrast, the Catholic Church requires Catholics to avoid meat every Friday during Lent, very hard, and to limit meals two days a year. By limit meals, it's literally you can have one normal meal and then two smaller meals, which together uh, are less than the big meal. Oh, okay. So you can just eat one huge meal and then two, like, okay-sized meals and don't snack, and you've met your requirement. Hmm. It's it's not strenuous. Oh, you think it needs to be tougher? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we need to go go to the orthodox way, but there's got to be some middle way there. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, if you're more vigilant, you can add stuff on your own. Like I I always do, and most Catholics add stuff on top of it. Yeah. Um, technically, Catholics must avoid meat every Friday of the year, but hardly anyone knows about it. Even really good Catholics, they have not heard of this rule. But you can substitute that with an act of charity. High church Protestants, such as the Anglicans, often celebrate Lent as well. Catholics and Protestants usually do additional penances of their own choosing, as I said. Low church Protestants, like the Baptists, uh, often do not celebrate Lent or fast in any way during the year. But all they do is just celebrate Holy Week, but they don't have any fasting. Oh, okay. They don't. That's not part of their no their program. No. Unless you choose to, but it, a lot of Baptists haven't even heard of Lent. I grew really? up in like a middle church denomination, I guess. Not yeah. quite high church Anglicanism, but it's also it's got beautiful art, architecture, music. So they, they care about those things. But we did have Lent, although you weren't required to do anything about oh, it. Oh, then like, what's the point? Like, you might as a well lot of, have it. A lot of them did do that. Yeah. So it was a thing, but you didn't have to do it. So why do Christians fast? It is a way to be more Christ-like, literally doing as Jesus did in the desert to a lesser degree. It also allows us to be in some solidarity with the poor and the homeless who don't always get to eat three square meals a day and snack whenever they want to. Fasting builds the cardinal virtues of fortitude and temperance, two of the four. Very important. In addition, fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday is a way of mourning the suffering and death of Jesus. And that's why that's why uh, they do it on those days. Uh, the Christian liturgical year is split up into seasons. So some are penitential and some are celebratory. The low of Lent is followed by the high of Easter tide. And that's the greatest Christian holiday. So it's good to have your year be not just high all the time, like great all mm-hmm. year. You need to have times of high and low. Of course. I, I think yeah. that's... It's it's healthy to not to vary it intentionally like that. Yeah. It, helps you, it helps you appreciate the good times. Yes, definitely. And, you know, fasting definitely makes you appreciate food. Uh, I've learned that in this <laughs> fast. <laughs> so let's talk about one of the most interesting factoids I learned doing uh, the notes for this. Uh, it concerns the Guinness Book of World Records uh, record for the longest fast. So in 1965, a very overweight 27-year-old named Angus Barbieri from Tayport, Scotland, checked into the Maryfield Hospital in Dundee. He wanted to lose some weight. Okay, emphasis on some weight. Uh, Initially, only a short fast was planned. They only wanted to do a little bit. Uh, The doctors at the time believed that short fasts were preferable to long ones. Barbieri insisted on continuing the fast uh, once he got started because he adapted so well and was eager to reach his ideal weight. That's a quote from Mr. Barbieri. So take a minute there audience members, and just try to guess how long this fast was. Think in your mind. Well, what was his initial weight? You should tell them that before his, they Okay, that. his initial weight uh, before he started all of this was 456 pounds. 
So think to yourself, how long could a 456-pound person go without eating? And how long would they be able to just have the sheer will to do that? I mean, obviously, a man of that size would probably have a little bit easier time than a a man of average size. But still, it it took some effort for him to, to keep this up. Was it three weeks? That's a long time to go without food. Was it three months, maybe? It was actually 382 days. Over a year, this man fasted, uh, starting, as I said earlier, uh, in uh, the year 1966. I'm sorry, in the 1965 is when it happened. And then it ended on the uh, 11th of July in 1966. Between then, he consumed only vitamins, electrolytes, and zero-calorie beverages, such as tea, coffee, and sparkling water. Uh, starting weight, as I said, was 456 pounds, and he stopped fasting when he reached his goal weight of 180 pounds. That's a 276-pound loss. Unbelievable. Yep. Now, he died, sadly, in September of 1990 at age 52. Which was 24 years after that. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, I'm sure completely unrelated. Maybe related to his weight beforehand. Maybe some something was going on, you know, put a strain on his heart. Who knows? But uh, it's not like the shock of fasting caused him to die or something. No. Uh, as of 2016, Barbieri retains the record for the longest fast without solid food, according to Guinness officials. Now, what was really interesting is that Guinness no longer officially endorses records relating to fasting for fear of encouraging unsafe behavior. I get that. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Because you, you get some guy out there who's like, I'm going to beat that record, and he ends up dying. I mean, that they would feel bad, I guess. I was looking into this guy's death, and they didn't do an autopsy or anything that's public, at least. So people were speculating, oh, it's just because he fasted for a whole year. Like, it really just killed him to do that. And I just thought, we don't know. And it was 24 years after the fact. Yeah. So, so half of his, on. that was like half of his life he lived after that. Yeah. All right, so fasting isn't just Christian or in the modern uh, way of things. A, a Google search of fasting around the world, though, only gives you results related to Muslims. Yeah, so we know, that in. <laughs> it just pops up just a bunch of Muslims in Ramadan. Well, the Muslims have good fasting in their defense. It is a big, big part, yeah. So we had to dig a little deeper for this. Yeah. Well, to start out with Islam, uh, Muslims celebrate the month-long long holiday of Ramadan by intermittently abstaining from food and drink. I believe they can't eat or drink when the sun is up. Uh, yeah, I think so. So they can eat it when the sun goes down. Um, they do that, and they also avoid cursing, fighting, lying, or arguing. I really like that. I think we need to incorporate some of that in the West. I think we would really uh, – and people do that. I have heard of that. You know, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to curse for yeah. Lent. But I think doing it just as a blanket, it would be really cool. I agree. You know, by by controlling their impulses and practicing better behavior, Muslims attempt, attempt to improve their taqwa or their God consciousness. Uh, Buddhist monks and nuns don't eat anything after they, their meal at noon until the next day. Buddhism emphasizes moderation in all things as part of the middle path. During periods of intense meditation, Buddhists will forego animal products and most solid food with the exception of milk. Hinduism and fasting go hand in hand. There are dozens of different practices in different regions, each with its own take on fasting. Some special days of the month are set aside for fasting, while some days of each week may involve a fast dedicated to a specific god, such as Vishnu and Shiva, in Ayapa and Mariyama. Fasting can also occur during major religious festivals like Maha Shivaratri, when literally nothing is consumed, not even water. Good for them. Yeah. In some cases, a devotee is not even allowed to touch animal products during a fast. Makes sense. Are you touching your meat over there? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the most important day of the year for the Jewish people is Yom Kippur, which is the only fast day mandated in the Torah. It is essential that everyone over the age of 13 practice fasting on this day for repentance. And the only legitimate excuse for not participating is that your life would be in danger if you didn't eat. I, I'm sure some people during their first 24-hour fast would feel like their life was in danger. But. Yeah, I'm literally going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Another important day of fasting is Tisha B'Av, which commemorates the day when the Babylonians destroyed the first holy temple in Jerusalem 2,500 uh, years ago. This fast lasts from sunset to the next day's 
or su- from sunset to the next day's sunset, so 24-hour fast. Mm-hmm. This brings us around to the big question, why fast? Why should you fast? We'll talk about the health benefits, uh, the personal challenge of it, the religious observance, and uh, how it builds virtue. So let's talk about health benefits. It's an effective way to lose weight. It's not complicated, and it can fit into most people's schedules and lifestyles. As uh, Dr. Linia Patel, a registered dietitian and spokeswoman for the British Dietitian Association, said to the BBC uh, in an article from June of 2019, she said, people love rules. I think bringing in a little discipline and having periods where we are not eating is a positive thing. Can I, I stress that long periods of fasting are not is that's not a good way to lose weight. If you're just consistently going like a day or two without eating, that's not sustainable. Yeah. And it won't work unless you have so much discipline that you don't even need to do like strict intermittent fasting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be done in combination with something else or just and like intermittent fasting is a good one because you do get to eat like every day. Yeah, which obviously you need to. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not like you can just do the the extremes and expect to get extreme results because there's there's some downsides there, some cons. Uh, as far as personal challenges go, uh, compared to our ancestors, we live an easy life, and everything in the first world is instant and plentiful. Adding a little hunger to our lives, literal and metaphorical hunger, can strengthen our resolve and willpower. Ancient people knew this, which is why so many philosophers and famous historical figures stress the importance of both intellectual and physical strength. Would you rather learn to control your physical urges or let them control you? Don't be a slave, bro. Now, we've already talked about religious observance, not just in the Christian world, but uh, around the world in so many other religions. Fasting is such a huge part of how they worship. And so this is obviously one of the ways that uh, humans really just connect with their spiritual side and um, and their God. And as far as building virtue goes, uh, putting restrictions on your body and testing your uh, psychological strength and physiological strength helps us grow in uh, fortitude and temperance. By realizing what we are actually capable of, it helps us to be tougher and control what we consume better. Also, it's manly to perform such feats. Right, so who would survive longer on the island with no food? The obese man or the triathlete? I would say most likely the obese man, surprisingly, with m- because he has more fats stored up to keep his body going as it goes through catabolism, as we uh, discussed with Angus. Yeah, with Angus. Yeah, that's that's how he, that was his magic thing right there. That's how he was able to do it. However, if the triathlete, triathlete were able to fashion some simple tools that would allow him to catch fish, start a fire, and harvest fresh water, this would allow him to survive indefinitely. So maybe his fitness could be to his advantage. Could be. Yeah, the obese man's weight and slow speed may put him at a disadvantage in this scenario. However, he could go longer without successfully catching food and still survive. So you can just sit there all day and do nothing. You know. <laughs> yeah. The triathlete would have very little time to get it right before becoming too weak to go on. Yes, a matter of maybe days, and then it's over, whereas the obese man could potentially last weeks and weeks, you know? If he got water, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about takeaways uh, from this, this fasting thing. Uh, it's difficult, but the benefits, uh, health, mental, spiritual, self-improvement, can be great. Again, don't uh, confuse us with medical advice. Uh, Fasting has ancient roots. It's cool to get in touch with something that your ancestors probably did regularly, voluntarily or otherwise, probably mostly uh, involuntarily because they just didn't have food. In the Christian world, it was voluntary during Lent. Oh, yeah. It's always been as tough as the Orthodox have. Yeah. Uh, Everywhere you go, someone is fasting all around the world. And an uh, obesity crisis is what we're in right now, and uh, it's just a really ever-growing problem, and humanity will need to use many different techniques to reduce those numbers. Mm -hmm. So how long do you think you could fast, Evan? Like the upper limit of your ability to fast. I need to just get back to 50 for now. But this past year, I was going to do this past Lent a few months ago. I was going to do a really intense fast uh, in honor of Good Friday. I was going to not eat anything from Thursday night until after Mass on Sunday morning. That's the one you told me about, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And but, I kept pushing, go, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, because let me see how many hours that would be. 
Um, yeah, add it up real quick, and yeah, I'll just say was, that uh, it was it was very. Uh, he gave me two options. I was like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? And both of them seemed super tough. The, the other option was to eat lunch on Friday before 3 p.m. when Christ died, and then don't eat until Mass on Sunday. Yeah. Um. So it was about upper 60s hours. On it, on the options. Upper 60s. That's that. You think that'd be your limit? That's my what I go for. And and by the way, during Lent, there's always someone each year who says, I'm just going to drink beer during Lent, and that's all I'm going to consume. <laughs> and they do it. Yeah, that one guy did. Uh, I don't know what state that was in. Or was he even, even in America? He was in America. Okay, but he drank beer the whole through whole Lent period, all 40 days. And then he continued after that, right, because he still had some weight he wanted to lose. Because he, he was losing weight. But it's it was high calorie low alcohol beer, like oh, yeah, I like, forget what you call like it, like IPAs and stuff that are like, like just bread in a can. Yeah, basically, but low alcohol levels, so he wasn't drunk all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how he worked that out with his uh, work schedule. Well, he owned a bar, so it worked out. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. or he worked at some one or something. Perfect. That dude had it made. Yeah. What, what do you think is your upper limit if you worked on it? Oh, if I worked on it, I mean, considering how well it went in this 24-hour one, I I think it's a 48-hour would obviously be harder, but not impossible. But I think for the upper limit for what I could do like voluntarily and, and be like, mm, I can do this comfortably while working. That's another thing. Like mm-hmm. I work up a sweat and that would, that might cause me to be faint. You know, it might cause some problems. I would say three days would be like my upper, upper limit. And if I was like in a survival situation, good night, maybe, maybe four. If I'm just laying there like in the wreckage of a plane crash or something. And they say you can go three weeks without eating, you know, I, I mean, don't, I don't want to try it out. No, I'm not going to go test it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, before I really started to get like have really bad side effects, it'd probably be, yeah, four days. Go for 36 hours next time. So that's just eat dinner one night and then. Two mornings later, you eat breakfast. Yeah, I think I will do that because I was very nervous beforehand. I was I was kind of worried that it would be really tough. Seeing how it went this time, I think I'd be willing to try thirty six again. Do you think fasting will ever disappear from the human experience? It hasn't disappeared yet in you know thousands and thousands of years. I mean, basically, it goes hand in hand with religion. So as long as organized religion has existed on the face of the earth, um. People have been fasting, so I think that will continue. It's crazy that it's been happening. Every major religion and minor religions have fasting. When in a time of scarcity, why why do you think they would all have this time of intentional hunger? Uh, that is a very good question. Why in times of scarcity? They're, they're not trying to lose weight back then. No. To the contrary. Well, I think they were just so devoted, I think, in that time. There were so few distractions. They had so much time to focus on their religion that it became just so important to them to show appreciation to God or the gods or whoever that, you know, and they did that by uh, uh, intentionally going without and, you know, as like a show of uh, goodwill or, or what have you, you know. I think that's why. I think people were just – it was religion was such a big part of people's lives back then that it just made sense. It was just something they did, and they wanted to do it. Well, that is all we've got for the main topic, but fear not. We have the hot take segment coming up. Play the hot take, Sounder. It's time for the hot takes. All right, so here's how it works. The hot take segment features two – news stories from this week that uh, Evan and I have picked out for the other person uh, to hear. And we'll read uh, the headlines and read some details about the story, and we will get the uh, other co-hosts' fresh hot take. So my story is the one we're going to start with. Uh, This is from out of Florida, and it concerns uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, and this is from Ars Technica, uh, the online magazine headline Florida makes it illegal for Facebook and Twitter to ban politicians 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis yesterday signed a bill into law to stop what he called the censorship of conservatives on social media websites such as Twitter and Facebook. The law is likely to be challenged in the court and has been described as blatantly unconstitutional by legal experts and advocacy groups across the political spectrum. The law gives Floridians the right to sue big tech companies over content moderation decisions and prohibits the companies from deplatforming political candidates and journalistic enterprises. It's only it's not just for individuals. Uh, no. It, let's see. Well, it gives yeah, it gives people the the right to to sue them and to just take them them to court if they feel like a person on that on one of those platforms has been unfairly uh, treated or cut. Out. But as far as I can tell from this law, it's only concerning, yeah, people who are not private individuals, you, like a private individual who gets banned or whatever, uh, has really no recourse other than through the means on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, through the private company itself. Well, the company itself. Um, but as far as like legal ramifications, only if you're a political candidate. So if you're like a registered, I'm running for governor, I'm running for Senate, and you get banned then you have a case. But for the average individual, not really. You, you can't really make that case unless you are running for political office. Uh, the new law carves out an exception, and this is really important, and I'm interested to get your take on this, an exception for tech companies that happen to also own theme parks. Surprise, surprise. That would exempt both <laughs> Disney and Comcast, the latter of which owns NBC Universal, including Universal theme parks. That yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. One more, one more uh, paragraph here, and I'll, I'll get your response. DeSantis objected to the banning of then-President Donald Trump, who was kicked off of Twitter and Facebook for inciting violence. Uh, any Floridian, he said, can block any candidate they don't want to hear from. And that is a right that belongs to each citizen. It's not for big tech companies to decide. However, Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, uh, a U.S. senator, uh, blasted Florida's leaders in a statement yesterday. Following Donald Trump's lead, Republican-led states are determined to pass laws to force websites and apps to host lies, misinformation, and other slime, with full knowledge that those laws are unconstitutional. The latest such example out of Florida, which compels online sites to host the speech of politicians, is particularly egregious and an invitation for extremists, racists, and liars to register as political candidates just to keep their posts online. What say you, Evan? I'm of two minds about it. On the one, they're a private company, and it's kind of their business. But More private company. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly some on the left will advocate private property rights whenever, whenever it helps them. Yeah. And likewise <laughs> for the right. Yeah. It, uh, it's, all, it's all convenience. You know, it's all... It's all political games in a lot of ways. But we have to, I think, admit that a lot of those games are being played on one side more than the other. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm of two minds. On the other mind, I love it. <laughs> and I think it's a great law. At least at least it brings some... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It makes it to where there has to be set standards. And if they have set standards for... If you do this, if you encourage people to commit violence against each other, then that's a valid reason for us to kick you off. But it can't just be like, oh, our community guidelines are, you know, you you went against our community guidelines of being nice or whatever the general thing is that they use to get rid of all the conservatives. Yeah. They need to be consistent and apply it across the board. And I think that's part of the reason of the law. Also... One might claim it's free speech, but it is also interference in an election if you're deleting candidates for office by giving you're basically deplatforming someone who's running and making their reach their outreach potential worse. Yeah, lesser. it would be like turning their mic off during a um, yeah. during a debate. It would be. So I I didn't I didn't know that it was just relegated to politicians and journalistic enterprises. Yeah, that's that was the language from the article. Yeah, and um, the yeah the law was just specifically about political candidates, and I guess this was all stemming from uh, Donald Trump being banned on Twitter. Well, it's it's something when the acting when the sitting president of the United States is banned on social media. I'm sure all the dictators around the world just thought that was hilarious that they could do that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, president, uh, what's his name? Uh, Xi. President Xi in China was just probably laughing his ass off yeah. at that one. 
uh, Winnie the Pooh. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, President Winnie the Pooh. Now, do you think um, <laughs> do you think of Facebook and Twitter and these these things as a utility, or do you see them as like a like a newspaper? Because that was one of the arguments they made in the article was that there was a court case I think from 1974 where newspapers were um, uh, people had an issue with newspapers, you know, not not allowing certain voices on their uh, on their platform, basically, uh, in 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 the papers. And people said, "Well, that's that's not fair." And the court sided with the the newspaper, saying that they can post whatever they want. You know, they get to choose what is published in their paper and what's not. So would you say that's the same as the social media angle? I don't think it's quite the same because it's not just a publication. It isn't a publication, these these platforms. They're more like utilities where people use them for their own benefit. But you know, all these companies want to waver and say they're either one whenever it's more convenient. Mm-hmm. So whenever it's about banning people, they want to be some private company. But whenever it's about, uh, I don't know, profiting and doing all these other activities they want to be a utility exactly or vice versa you know and when i read the article it seemed to me like the analogy was pretty flawed and of course the the people you know it's the left and, and democrats who were making this argument and the analogy is flawed the analogy would be more accurate if everybody had a printing press and you just walked into someone's house and said no you we're gonna shut off your printing press you're not allowed to do uh you know Put, make your ideas public and uh, share them with the rest of the people who have printing presses and share mm-hmm. their ideas because that's really what social media has become. Everybody can go on there and post whatever they want, I mean, within reason, and they can they all have kind of an equal voice. Now, of course, you have to compete for followers and things mm-hmm. like that, but if, you're, if your post goes viral and it resonates with people, it can shoot right up to the top. So it, it's not quite the same as the whole newspaper angle, I don't think. Yeah. And the Washington Post doesn't have to publish a piece by Newt Gingrich. No. You know, they don't have to. And I'm fine with that because it's not just a platform that everybody uses. Yeah. It's their own private, like, publication. It's exclusive. It's exclusive. You know, they, they have to control what they print. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? I, I would think it'd be more – it would be a better metaphor to say that these t- um, social media platforms are more like the electricity company, mm-hmm. like a utility in that you can't just kick people off. You can't just say, oh, you don't get electricity anymore because we don't like your opinion on mm-hmm. this. The only reason they would cut off your electricity is if you stop paying or if you're just somehow trying to, like, hack the electric line or something. Yeah, which would be a criminal offense. Yes. Yeah. So you have to be committing some sort of crime yeah, in order for them to have, like, a reason to do that. And yeah. what crime is committed by someone expressing an opinion? What crime is committed, uh, riddle me this, uh, Senator from Oregon, what crime is committed by lying? What crime is committed by being an extremist? If, if what, what crime is committed by being racist? Unless it's perjury, then it is against the law to lie. Then they, uh, that, that is an important distinction. But just saying, just making up stuff uh, you know, online and, and spreading misinformation, quote unquote, uh, you know, it's up to the people to decide what information they believe and what they don't believe. There are plenty of people out there who lie. You know, when, when, when I get a call saying my my car's extended warranty is about to expire. <laughs> Obviously, I don't believe it. You know, like I'm smart enough and uh, you know, to have doubts about that. And to say that you need to step in to control what people should and should not be exposed to as, as far as just ideas. These are just ideas. This is, you know, or this is just free speech here we're talking about. If you're trying to control what people are, uh, what information they can and can't deal in and, and be exposed to, that's a problem. Would you agree? I'd agree. There's more nuance to this, but I don't want to take all day. Yeah. All right. So give me give me your story. I'm ready for it. All right. So this is in Texas. I know you're a gun person. I heard recently that they're trying that some like far extremist Republicans are trying to pass a bill for open carry of all guns, including handguns, and to loosen the restrictions on. Uh, background checks and the like to where it even got more, my attention it, yeah i know <laughs> to where it'd be really easy just to get any kind of gun even a handgun and be able to just like 
like the Wild West, just carry it around, or at least just have it in an open holster. Wild West pimp style, you might say? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> See, but the thing is, many Republicans, even, many Republicans and even many police officers are, stand, are speaking out against this bill just because of the amount of danger that it will pose and just having people just their hand on the holster all the time and even with handguns you know because handguns are easy to they're they're more deadly i think and they're statistically handguns are much more deadly than any other other weapon um so what say you i say that just just generally without prying any any deeper i'm all for it i mean you want a hot take that's my hot take right there you want to you want to decrease uh, and decriminalized weapons sign me up but let me dig yeah <laughs> yeah it's sizzling over here so let me dig a little deeper though because i want to really get all the information um these uh these laws that they're planning on passing in texas would it allow people to carry them in their hands i don't know i didn't look too much into it so that's an important distinction there because open carry is is legal in many many states which allows you to um, you know, carry a pistol on your hip um, in a holster and just walk around. Walk around with it in a holster like a, like a cowboy or something. It doesn't permit you to pull it out and threaten people. That's a, that's a big-time no-no right there. That's a felony. Um, and especially pulling it out and using it and firing it, obviously, is, is going to land you in, in prison. But carrying it, open for the world to see, no problem in, in many states. Uh, even a rifle slung over your back, so long as the the thing is not uh, – now, it's different in each state, but there are some states where you can just put a rifle over your back, and so long as you're not using it, aiming it, I'm just, you're, I'm, you're legal. I'm just thinking about Red Dead Redemption, just <laughs> <laughs> all the guys walking with rifles, like just slung on them. And yeah, sometimes probably even just carrying them right here while they're riding a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Wave them around in the bar, you know. Wild West, baby. Now – I think that the average citizen who's going to, who is a firearm owner, has enough sense to not do that. And the people who don't have enough sense will be arrested and charged with whatever crime they've committed, which is, you know, threatening people's lives by swinging their gun around or whatever. People act like if you allow people to uh, carry firearms without a permit, that suddenly everybody will just turn into a jackass and um, will be completely irresponsible. And that is simply not the case. The the firearm community at large is responsible because they have to be because the penalties for irresponsibility are so high as they should be. You know, I'm not going to be out here saying that if we decide on a law and we decide what's legal and what's illegal, if you commit some sort of illegal act, that prison sentences should be reduced. No, 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 no. If you are acting like a jerk with a firearm, you should be prosecuted. Absolutely. However, I feel that the the uh, constitutional carry they're calling it, I think in many of these states, I think that is perfectly legal and perfectly le- legitimate. It is a right, I think, under the Second Amendment. And if you don't like that, then you have to change the Second Amendment. You can't just legislate your way out of that or create all these red flag laws or limiting ammo or limiting magazine capacity. If you want to change the language of the Second Amendment, Go ahead. Try to get a majority in uh, in the federal uh, legislative bodies and see what you can do. But I don't think you're going to get that. So that's my that's my take on it. I, I generally support it. Obviously, I don't condone any activity that would violate anyone's rights. But I don't think, based on what you've told me, any of this is violating anyone's rights. It might make some people offended, but hey, you know I have a right to bear arms. Okay, that was a hot take was a very hot take that's all we have for today's show join us again next week for even more ancient wisdom <laughs>